The performance of Dallas schools. The report card is in and the state has some notes for Dallas ISD, what it means for your child's education. Decision 2020, Democrats did their best to make an impression on the debate stage. Did it make a difference for the Texans running for president? New polling and analysis from Meet the Press moderator, Chuck Todd. Plus, Republicans spar in Texas, the spat that has Lieutenant Governor telling a former ally he's, quote, destroying the party. This is Lone Star Politics from NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News. Good Sunday morning. I'm Julie Fine from NBC5 along with Gromer Jeffers, political reporter with the Dallas Morning News. How are you, Gromer? I'm fine, Julie. How are you? I'm good. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, how's your fantasy team doing? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're one and one, so we'll see what happens today. I'm 2-0. And, oh. Oh, okay, and our first guest this morning <laughs> is Dallas ISD trustee Miguel Solis. He's here to talk to us about the state of Dallas ISD. How are you? Thanks so much for being with us. I'm very happy to be here, Julie and Gromer. And Gromer, good luck to the Cubs. I don't know where they stand right now. <sighs> it's a struggle. But... It's a struggle. But, hey, yeah, we'll see. He'll, he'll be hanging on every game, I can <laughs> assure you. First of all, let's start with the state of Dallas ISD right now. Where do you think it is? Uh, we're continuing to improve. We are in one of the best spots that our district has ever been in, in the modern history of DISD, um, but we know that we can always continue to improve. Um, just a little example of that, last year we had four schools that were on the improvement required list by the state. Uh, three of the four came off in these new rounds of scores. However, we had seven jump on to the improvement required list for the first time. So while we get better, there's always things that we can continue to improve. You remember the reputation of, of DISD because it wasn't so long ago, right? Why the turnaround? What happened? Can you pinpoint anything and say, hey, this is what we did to improve things? Yeah, there, there are a multitude of things that we did. So without boring you uh, all right. with all the details, we're making sure that we are identifying our educators who are getting results for kids. We are paying them significantly more. We're getting more kids pre-K. We're making sure that we have innovative concepts like more Montessori and choice schools. We're desegregating DISD, as crazy as that sounds, given that we're over 50 years now from Brown versus Board of Education. But it's these sort of things plus more money from the state now that's helping us improve DISD. Now, I know it's hard to capture this with, with data, but are you seeing people now moving into the area and not being all that concerned about, oh, I can't move into Dallas because of DISD? Are they now putting that aside and, and moving? Slowly but surely. Y'all will remember back in 2011, the Texas state legislature cut $5.4 billion. That led to DISD closing many schools. Um, and then we got really creative. Now those schools that had been closed have been flipped to schools that we call mixed socioeconomic integration schools. 50% of the kids have got to be low income, the other 50% middle to upper income. Every one of those schools has a wait list now. So middle class families are beginning to choose DISD again. Now we know a big thing now is the school district grades. Let's talk about that. Overall, the district earned a B in the state's accountability system, but student achievement and closing the gaps both marked as C's. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. what do you do there? Yeah, so again, you know, it's a really dynamic A through F system. And when you make progress in some places, you can lose progress in other places. We actually improved from an, a grade of 81 to 86. Um, so that's great. But we ultimately know, like, if we keep having the improvement required schools show up on the list, that's going to uh, impact the other grades that you see there on the, uh, on the, on the screen. So we're just going to have to keep putting our head down 
and make sure that we continue to innovate. But we know we're on the right path. I mean, you, you, you all will remember where we were just a few years back when I had a full head of hair. Right. So <laughs> this is what it can look like to try to reform public education. All right. And you've been named Deputy Director for a Coalition for New Dallas. Explain what that is, what you'll be doing. Yeah, so the organization, uh, in a nutshell, is really a political think tank and a, and a social think tank that tries to build Dallas in a way where we can bring people together. You'll know that highways separated our city. Um, we had very and dynamic segregation tactics um, that can be changed if we have the right type of policies in place. So that's what we're doing. We want to influence council members and others to plan this city in a way that'll bring it together. And you just, you, you ran for mayor just this past uh, May, right? And so you're, the issues that were important to you in that mayoral campaign, it, this seems like a natural, You, you couldn't right? have said it any better. Yeah. I mean, I focused on housing, on mobility and transportation, and continuing to improve our education system. This position will allow me to continue to do those things um, because, as you can tell, I was not successful right. in that mayor's yeah. race. <laughs> 2020, let's turn to 2020. You have three friends I do. running for president, yeah. which means maybe you have a choice to make, maybe not. So Mayor Pete, right, uh, Julian Castro, That's right. and Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. So are they trying to get your endorsement? I know, it, well, first of all, I know everybody in the field wants the endorsement of Miguel Solis, right? I mean, it, it goes a really <laughs> long way. I'll tell you, having that school board member on that presidential ballot is just phenomenal. But no, look, uh, Pete Buttigieg is a really great friend, uh, and I've known him for many years. Um, last time I was in South Bend, I slept on his couch. Uh, Julian has been a mentor of mine for many years in politics, and Beto was literally in my daughter's hospital room the day after she had her heart transplant. So three dynamic guys with bold visions where they'd like to take this country. And I can tell you, I won't be endorsing, um, uh, you know, in this particular primary, but anything, anything would be better, in my humble opinion, than what we have right now in the White House and where our country is headed. So I'll be interested to see which one of them can make it. Um, and Mayor Buttigieg is doing better in the polls right now than Julian Castro or Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, yeah, and it's they're running a really dynamic campaign. There is something to be said about his youth um, and new ideas that I think is speaking to the nation in a way that, that maybe others aren't. So I wish them all the best. Yeah, what's interesting is, and we've talked about this before in our, in our travels uh, to local watering holes, right, Miguel? That's right. About I just would you. like to say that they, I wasn't invited. <laughs> I was not invited. That's a standing invitation for right. you. You should know this. The, the generational uh, sort of situation with the party and how new leaders are trying to emerge. New leaders are really sort of the, the, the fuel behind some of the gains that the party has made in 2018 and, and, and want to make. But you're faced with Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Or Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders being president. What what about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, the nominee. I, I think generally speaking, in American politics, there are catalytic moments where you see a new generation begin to to rise. And I think you could say the same thing about Barack Obama's time. You can say the same thing about John F. Kennedy's time. Um, but I will say. Um, the American public generally, I think, for those that would l think about potentially voting for a Democrat, they want to make sure that whoever they select can win. And so generally speaking, um, I think that's why you see a Biden and a Warren and, and potentially a Sanders sort of uh, emerging as, as leaders. Although I'd say, you know, Sanders and Warren tend to be a little bit more progressive and a little bit more risky for some, but they seem to be to be making waves.
Miguel Solis, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Go Cubs. And this, the invitation is always standing for you, Julie. Thank you very That's much, right. Miguel. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, two Texans are running for president. Are they running out of time to impress voters? New polling after the Houston debate. And why there is reason for optimism in Beto O'Rourke's camp. Plus, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has choice words for a former ally. What's fueling Republican infighting in Texas? And national polling trouble for the Texans running for president. An NBC News Wall Street Journal poll released this week has both former El Paso Representative Beto O'Rourke and Secretary Julian Castro at 1% on the heels of the debate in Houston. Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Elizabeth Warren lead the pack. Beto O'Rourke still has support here in Texas, according to a UT Tyler Post debate poll. O'Rourke trails only Vice President Joe Biden in the poll of registered voters ahead of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Only Biden and O'Rourke beat President Trump head to head in Texas. Both are within the margin of error, with a lot of voters saying they would vote for neither or they are not sure. And joining us now to break all of this down is Meet the Press moderator Chuck Todd. Chuck, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, fun to do. Hi, Julie. Hi, Gromer. First, let's begin with your poll, the NBC Wall Street Journal poll. How do you break that down? Well, I think the most interesting aspect of it is that in the way our headline was the sorting process is beginning, at least among the Democrats, because what we saw is only two candidates are gaining. That's Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden. And by the way, I say that, you know, it's funny. There's a lot of focus on the Elizabeth Warren surge. But believe it or not, Joe Biden has grown in our poll. It is not his his support. He isn't losing support. Elizabeth Warren is gaining support at a quicker rate. But sometimes I think people think that all those debate flubs. Oh, my God, how is Biden hanging on? And when you see that he's still growing, I, I what I think what you're seeing is this. The sorting's beginning and the two sort of distinctive uh, sort of, uh, I, I, what do you want to call them, the, the, sort of the distinctive paths to the White House, if you will. There's a group of Democrats who think the reason they lost in 2016 is that they weren't the big, bold disruptors, if you will. They needed bigger ideas. That's why the swing voters rejected the Democrats and went with the, the disruptor in Trump. There's another group of Democrats who simply think the election was stolen or Hillary Clinton was a weak candidate, and if you just do Control-Alt-Delete with Joe Biden, everything's going to be fine again. And the party really is almost splitting in two on this. Here's the warning sign I would say for Elizabeth Warren. The Joe Biden coalition is a coalition of older voters and African-American voters. That is a more successful path to a Democratic nomination than the path Elizabeth Warren is trying to put together of sort of the super educated uh, and young voters. Those are not as frequent of voters and they're usually not in big enough numbers in southern states to get over the top. Yeah, Chuck, Biden has the, the tried and true it seems like. Uh, and it also appears that these debates, they're not changing things at the top much. Are we looking at yeah. Iowa and New Hampshire probably as the next big events to move things? And, and, and if Biden can't win Iowa yeah. or New Hampshire, what kind of impact do you think that'll have on the race? Well, I will say this. I think that I am of the mindset that the debates are done having an impact. Right. They had some impact. I agree, not on Biden. Right. If anything, it it seemed to those that were leaning Biden, it seemed to reassure them. But those that had their doubts about Biden, they were trying to figure out where to go. Well, if you look at the way the debates have gone, the only consistent winner other than Biden out of these debates has been Warren. 
So the dates really, I think, have helped her and, and almost eliminated everybody else. I'm, I'm being, I, I don't, there is still room for others to break through here, but at least for now it appears that way. I do think the next shakeout is Iowa. I am a believer, though, that there will be a, a candidate we're not talking about uh, in the, that isn't in the top three right now that might break through into the top three of Iowa. And that person, you know, whether, and I, frankly, I think it could be Kamala Harris, could be Cory Booker, could be Pete Buttigieg, I think. And, and, and of, of late, I think even Beto O'Rourke might, might sort of, but I, I think it's only one of those four that I think have an opportunity to truly pop into the top three in Iowa. But I think it's, that's what we got to wait for. We got to wait for the voting. Then you asked about the sweep. I think if any candidate sweeps Iowa and New Hampshire, it's going to be very hard to stop that person from the nomination. It really, if you're Biden, if you lose Iowa, then either you want to win New Hampshire or hope that somebody else wins New Hampshire. Biden either wants to be the guy that sweeps, be the guy that wins one, or make South Carolina his first win right. and hope Iowa and New Hampshire were split. Chuck, speaking of the debate, Secretary Julian Castro, is this irreparable damage, do you think? I think it is this cycle. I don't think this is irreparable damage for his political career. I don't think it's irreparable damage for him to get a job in a Democratic administration. But I think in this environment um, and with this big of a field, I just don't think he has the oxygen and the time to fix this enough to get to, to sort of not have it have an impact. So I think for this campaign, it may be irreparable. You know, the irony of that, he, he did so well in the first two debates and, and then to go out yeah. potentially like this. But let me ask you about Texas. It's but Texas. Roman, let me, go, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me defend him. Let me right. defend the tactic in this way. Look, when you're at one or two percent, right. you know, you're not going to get there by being nice. Okay? You don't win a campaign. I, you know, and so, it, 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 as Julian himself said, hey, this is politics. Uh, somebody had to go there. Now, he may end up successfully raising these doubts about Biden, and it helps somebody else. Right. Um, but I understand, like, look, if he did nothing, I can guarantee you he was going to stay at 2%. Yeah, it's kind of like the way he did it, though. You know, I, I, that's, that's yeah, right. And I think yeah, people didn't like right. And I think he could have answered it more elegantly. Yeah. Uh, what about Texas? Is Texas a true battleground in 2020? Democrats here are excited about the prospect, but mm. I don't know if the national Democrats are buying it yet. What do you think? Here's the thing. Texas is a battleground politically when it comes to control of the state legislature right now, right? It's a battleground politically when it comes to the congressional delegation. It may be a battleground politically when it comes to the United States Senate. Uh, and it may be competitive on the presidential level. The point is, is I, just, I just gave you four different reasons why I do believe you're going to see that the state is going to be treated as a battleground state, but not for the presidential race. But it's almost like it's trickling up rather than trickling down. There's too much opportunity for Democrats to not take a shot at the state house, to not go find three or four more congressional seats, to not make John Cornyn run for his life. So you're going to see a ton of money come into there, a ton of activity on the Senate on, the, on those levels. I think when, peop, when people say, is Texas in play, that's usually shorthand for, is it in play in the presidential? I think it is going to be competitive. It was somewhat competitive last time. But I don't believe it is the 270th electoral vote for any Democrat. If Democrats carry Texas, it will be, they will already have likely gotten past the finish line in a Michigan, Pennsylvania, um, Wisconsin situation, in a Florida situation. Texas is sort of like the fifth or sixth of the swing states to go. 
Democrats don't need it. Republicans do. Right. Trump does. That's why Trump's doing what he's, you know, has to go down there for even public events with the prime minister of India because it's in Houston. I mean, he knows he's got to not lose Texas and do whatever it takes to make sure that doesn't happen. But I, I, I put it in that category. It's very competitive overall between the two parties now. It is less of a priority on the presidential level for the Democrats. It is obviously a must win for Trump. Chuck, thanks so much for being with us. Come and see us in Texas. Well, I just gave you a bunch of reasons why we need to get our, <laughs> right. uh, we need to get down there a lot more. All so right, well, we'll take I need to get you guys Max. up here more too. Absolutely, we'll it. see you soon. Still ahead, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick accuses a former ally of, quote, destroying the Texas GOP. What set off the new drama and the impact of fractures within the state party? Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and conservative activist Michael Quinn Sullivan got into it on Twitter this week after Sullivan accused Patrick of betraying the Constitution when it comes to gun control. Patrick said that Sullivan has it wrong and added, quote, you are destroying our party. That comment co coming in regards to Sullivan secretly recording Texas House Speaker Dennis Bonin allegedly asking Sullivan to target 10 Republican lawmakers in the 2020 primaries. That tape has not been released. It's interesting, Gromer, because both sides have been calling for it to be released, and it still hasn't been released. Yeah, that's the, that's the last shoe to drop on this. Everybody wants to hear for themselves what's on the tape. And, and then there's a feeling that once you hear what's on the tape, you can move on. About Michael Quinn Sullivan destroying the party, that's a little over the top. Sullivan's job, from his perspective, is to hold leaders like the, the governor, the lieutenant governor, the speaker of the house accountable. Yeah, he has a role. His role is to protect taxpayers as he, that, that's what he thinks his role is, and to make sure that conservative, legis, conservative legislation comes out the house and the state senate. And if you disagree with that role, then, then that's fine, but you know, you don't call a meeting with the guy and then allegedly say all those things. You're kind of asking for it if you do that. So. I, you know, I don't blame, I wouldn't blame Michael Quinn Sullivan for this mess. You know, you blame the people who called the meeting and... They you know, say a year can be a lifetime in politics, though, and Speaker Dennis Bonin's certainly holding on. He is, he is, and I think a lot will depend on what happens in the 2020 elections. If Democrats take the House, then the point is moot, right? If they don't, if Republicans uh, come back from 2018, add to their majority, then there, there will be a lot of good feelings about that and maybe bonding can survive. But again, it all depends on really what's on that tape. And what if that tape isn't released until the, the, the beginning of the next session? At we'll some point, do see. you think it will be? Oh yeah, we'll hear it at some point. If it exists and it does, we'll hear it at some point. All right, well, Gromer, that's all the time we have this Sunday. We'll see you next Sunday. Meet the Press is next.